Welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. This week we bring you Red Legacy. Red Legacy first appeared in the February 2015 issue of Asimov Science Fiction Magazine. Written by Ineash Brodsky, read by Ineash Brodsky and Autumn Rachel Dryden. Overture I hold my daughter tightly as she disgorges a torrent of thick, jaundiced fluid from her lungs. She spasms in my arms, her body contorting in motions more akin to vomiting than coughing. I push my fingers into her mouth and scoop out what sticky remains I can. It's late and the lab is quiet, aside from the sounds of Alexia's struggle. Deep within the subterranean compound, bare light bulbs illuminate all corners of the room. Harsh white glare glints off the stainless steel frame of the gurney nearby, which I will transfer Alexia to yet again. The light glistens on her slick skin. Her naked body is coated in pale yellow mucus. A splash of it oozes from the tank I pulled her from, splatters across the floor between her birthplace and my arms. I strike her back sharply, and a final clump of the sludge bursts from her lips. She gasps frantically, pulling air into these lungs for the first time, her fingernails digging into my side. She hacks, sending spittle flying, clearing her airway, shaking my body. For two minutes this continues, the volume of her lungs so much greater than it had been the first time she'd been born, eight years ago. Finally the racking subsides and she clutches at me. She wails, and I want to wail with her, even after all these iterations. I'm glad to feel her pain. When the day comes that I fail to cry with her, I will no longer need to bring her back. I wrap her in a scratchy wool blanket and wait for the terror of rebirth to fade. She looks up at me, clear blue eyes rimmed in red. Her blonde hair is pasted down with the slime, starting to crust around the edges. A newly hatched chick, the shell of her incubating tank abandoned. Her memory will be fuzzy for a couple days. I brace myself for the question, every single time, that same first question. My chest is heavy. I no longer have hope it'll be different this time. Mama, where's Mommy? Alexia's voice will be lilting and high by tomorrow, but now it's still quavering and weak. I am Mama, and Natasha is Mommy. I unclench my jaw with a force of will. Inside my chest... A feeling like glass shards grinding together. She's very busy right now. If she leaves her project, it will fail, so she can't be here. You'll see her again in a couple of weeks. The lie was easy even the first time I told it. I do not hate Natasha for necessitating the lie. Childhood is a structure of lies we build around our children to provide them with the shelter they need to grow. Without that protection, they would be warped and stunted by the hostility of the human environment. Rather, I hate Natasha for being too weak to build the shelter with me. I am alone, and the work is unceasing. Alexia deserves a life supported by two parents. On my own, I fail her every day. But first, she must live. I note the time of Alexia's first breath. 
she's plateaued at approximately 16 days, 10 hours for five iterations. My usual worry is starting to turn to dread. One, the Brit. The Arkhipov facility, built entirely underground in a remote corner of the Ural Mountains, was meant to provide Maria Kovanich with opportunity for uninterrupted research. A hidden airstrip, revealed for a few hours every six months, allowed for the rotation of the live-in personnel and the arrival of fresh supplies. A small nuclear reactor provided for all their power needs. Within the sterile confines of the compound, Maria pushed Lamarck's discoveries to their limit. Jean-Baptiste Lamarck was the first to demonstrate how parents passed acquired characteristics to their offspring. He showed how the primitive giraffes, spending their lives stretching their necks to reach higher fruit, would bear children with necks slightly longer than their peers. Unfortunately, nature was slow. Organisms could not pass on their refined genes if they did not survive the refining process. As such, adaptations accrued at a glacial pace, limited to responses to the small fraction of stressors that pushed improvements without going so far as to kill an organism outright. Soviet cloning advances removed this limitation. A dead specimen could be sampled, its tissue used to grow a copy with the exact genetic code it carried at the time of death. Now, massive stressors could push large changes, and the cloning tanks would preserve those changes. Maria, together with her research partner and lover Natasha, was tasked with finding practical applications. While the capitalists poured their resources into ever more complicated computing devices and sterile, integrated circuits, the people of Russia put their trust in living, breathing, biological solutions. Russia's wealth had always been its people, and Russia would invest in its people, not in soulless machinery. Now, two years since the facility's opening, Maria Kovanich received her first direct orders. Her exploratory phase was over. Tensions with the Americans were rising, and she was to provide the people with a method of surviving catastrophic radioactive fallout. Immediately, she put the facility's nuclear reactor to use. Killing humans was monstrously unethical. In addition, their reproductive rates were too slow for quick results. But the human body was host to thousands of microorganisms, and if one of them could be modified to purge radioactive elements from its surroundings, its hosts could live in an irradiated environment in comfort. She experimented on dozens of bacterial species harvested from her own body, which she bombarded with heavy radiation daily. They fried under the false uranium sun. Their clones lived again the next day and went back to the nuclear furnace. It was four weeks into the project, in the silent hours of darkened lights, that klaxons ripped Maria from sleep. The ear-shattering blast launched her from her bed, sheets tangling her feet. She lurched across the cramped quarters on instinct, mind not fully awake. She tore open the door to Alexia's room. The child's bed was empty. Her daughter was gone. Her heart restarted when she remembered that this was an interim period. Alexia died days ago. The bed had been empty since then. It would remain so for another couple weeks. Her daughter was safe, so long as the cloning labs were undisturbed. 
Maria spun around, yanked her lab coat from the hook by the door, and rushed into the hallway. She shrugged the coat on as she hurried to the facility center, reached back to pull her frazzled dark hair from under it. It hadn't been lustrous and wavy in a long time. She no longer cared for it, now that Natasha had gone. The guard saluted as she walked into the control center, the doors hissing open at her arrival. Most of the room was filled with the bulk of the giant BESM computer, rows of metal cabinets stuffed with transistor relays. Three large consoles stood against one wall, racks of blinking lights looming over expansive keypads. There wasn't much room for humans within, and even less now that anxious techs stood clustered around two men by the monitors. Boris, who had taken over Natasha's position when she'd left, spoke with Ivan. Boris was a scrawny geek like her, sporting thick glasses and partial to pocket protectors. Ivan took up the volume of two Borises, thick arms, a barrel chest, a Kalashnikov slung over his shoulder. His face was lined with the creases of too much war. He caught her eye as she entered and turned away from Boris to approach her. Madam. What is the situation? Maria asked. Two guards have been found dead. The bodies look to have been dragged into a janitorial closet. The implications of dragged were clear. Murder? When? The bodies were still warm. The intruder is still about. An intruder? That That's impossible. This facility is only known to the highest officials. I pulled a 762 bullet from one of the men myself. We don't use that caliber. My instincts say the British, and my six agents love the Walter PPK. Maria's heart leapt into her throat. MI6 here was a disaster. They would steal the research she'd been so carefully cultivating. They would destroy the tanks, kill her daughter. They would murder them all, given half a chance. Find him! By any means, he cannot live! Ivan's eyes flashed brief annoyance, but otherwise he remained professional. Lockdown procedures are already in place. The exits are sealed, and soon we'll begin the sweep. He was interrupted by the muffled thump and accompanying tremor of a distant explosion. Maria glared at him. He turned to scan the facility schematics mapped onto a full wall of the control room. Six maps, one for each floor of the underground complex. Each room was labeled, and by each label, a tiny light bulb protruded from the wall. Just now, the bulb beside Armory was flashing rapidly, indicating damage. He will not escape from there. Ivan snapped her a salute and stomped from the room. He bellowed for men once in the hall, calling them to his side by name, but left the two guards at the door. Maria studied the map herself, sucking at her front teeth. She forced her spine straight and her mouth tight. The appearance of command was vital, regardless of the pained liquid feeling in her bowels. What was she supposed to do now? There was nothing to do but wait, staring at a map that told her nothing. She racked her brain for contingency plans, possible failure modes and vulnerabilities. She must not lose control. The Brits were dangerous. They'd never killed off their nobility. Long before Lamarck, ancient societies had stumbled upon simple rules that crudely took advantage of evolution. They restricted governing and warfare to an elite class, and expected intermarriage within that class. The nobles. This ensured that genetic alterations that gave advantages in combat were preserved and passed down, rather than diluted with genes that optimized farming or banking. Militarily, these societies outperformed those without a noble class. 
When the nobles grew decadent and abusive, the French and the Russians eliminated their noble lines. The English had preserved theirs, and still recruited their officers and special operatives from those august ranks. Centuries of selective adaptation had produced a killer elite. Even during lulls between wars, the nobility continued to duel amongst themselves, and spent extravagant amounts of leisure time hunting foxes or other game. Dispensing death was literally in their genes. And while her guards would empty entire magazines of ammunition in an attempt to hit a man, an MI6 agent could put a bullet into someone's eye at a hundred paces, while running. Her brooding was shattered by the thunderous chatter of automatic weapon fire just outside the door. A single extended burst rang out, hammering at her ears. One of the guards outside flopped across the doorway like a sack of meat, blood seeping from his punctured uniform and pooling around him. Maria stared, speechless, and before she could think to react, an absurdly overdressed Englishman jumped the body, a pistol gripped in one hand, a commandeered Kalashnikov in the other. He pointed the weapons at them and quickly scanned the room. Then he relaxed and smirked. Every Russian hand was raised in surrender. He kicked the body back into the hall without looking at it. Well, well, he drawled. Looks like the fox has found the hen house. His Russian was excellent, if strongly accented. His idiom didn't translate well. With a casual motion, he dropped the AK, thumbed the sliding door closed, and moved the pistol to his right hand. Maria shrunk away, eyes darting to the map. The armory was the most distant room. Ivan would not be back for some time. The MI6 agent strolled into the room toward the command console, waving them back with his gun. He tracked blood as he walked, the heel of his left shoe leaving a series of wet, red treads across the floor. Maria tried to breathe as quietly as possible. She edged back until she was pressed against the computer cabinet. To her left, Boris stood rooted to the spot. The agent eyed them coolly. I have some work to do here, so if you'd all stay back and keep quiet, I shan't have to kill you. He flashed them a cocky smile, all sharp teeth and genial charm, then swung his pistol back at the door and fired twice into its control panel. It sparked as it died, and the door immediately slid into the wall and locked open. That was a standard security feature. The external doors worked in the opposite manner. Any damage to their control consoles would lock them shut. A piercing alarm filled the room, its wailing drowning out the klaxons, and the light by Control Center on the wall map began flashing frantically. The agent frowned. Bugger. Looks like I'll have to do this the messy way. His gun was somehow already pointing at them. He swung his head around to match. Goodbye, Dr. Kovanich. Maria's heart stopped. Her scream hadn't even made it to her lips when the pistol flared, jerked in the man's hand, and spat a single copper-coated fragment of lead. It punched through Boris's chest, boring a hole through his heart, and exited from his back in a spiral of blood. It hadn't even nicked a rib. Boris looked surprised as bright red spilled from his chest and back, flowed down his pristine white coat, splattered the floor. His eyes said what she thought. But I'm not Kavanich. Then he collapsed. Maria looked up, uncomprehending. 
The British agent was tearing at the bulletproof cover over the big red button, clearly marked, Self-destruct. Do not press. He knew her name, knew that Kavanich headed this facility, but he'd shot Boris because... because he was a man? Did he not know that the Socialist Republic did not harbor his medieval views of leadership? She forced down the relief, threatening to flood her body. She was alive now because an English nobleman couldn't imagine a woman being anything more than an assistant. His regime was doomed. The British may have a few centuries head start, but they were crippled by their regressive traditions. The combined efforts of the free and equal Soviet people would race past them in a matter of decades. The agent managed to lever the protective shell from the switch at last. A countdown display above it was poised at 15 minutes, zero seconds. He tossed her a quick glare, all arrogance and contempt, then slammed his hand down on the self-destruct button. 100,000 volts of electricity coursed through him as his body completed the circuit between the metal plate on the floor and the metal button he just pushed. The lights in the facility dimmed to almost nothing. The whir of the ventilation system dropped off, cut out by the sudden, massive power drain. His body spasmed violently for several seconds, smoking, and the smell of burnt hair filled the room. Maria hadn't really expected anyone to fall for that. Two, the Russian. Maria squeezed her eyes shut in frustration. Yuri Pushkin peered over Maria's shoulder with a clipboard, tapping his pen in a steady rhythm. He was one of Russia's senior auditors, reporting directly to the Kremlin, and undoubtedly both his parents had been paper pushers of some sort. Administrative work ran in his blood, just as scientific work ran in Maria's. Both Maria's parents, and all four grandparents, had scientific or academic careers. Natasha didn't have quite the pedigree that Maria did. Her paternal grandparents had been simple farmers. This was unfortunate, as they had decided that Natasha would carry their child. She was the more maternal one. She had a desire to carry the child that Maria couldn't quite understand, but was grateful for. To compensate for Natasha's less refined genetics, they had chosen one of the greatest scientific minds in Russia as the donor to Father Alexia. He boasted intellectual ancestors going back three generations on his father's side and two on his mother's. Normally, the nature of sexual attraction prevented such a concentrated genetic accumulation of one skill. As often as not, a great banker may marry a great poet rather than another great banker. The adaptations that parents had accumulated through a lifetime of labor were diluted in their children through the mismatch between skills. Not even the Brits had avoided this problem with their noble class, as only the men were allowed to fight. Invariably, much of the genetic progress was lost. The Soviet people were systematically destroying these impediments. All careers were open to both genders, so finally great male warriors could be paired with great female warriors to produce truly startling children. The government encouraged and subsidized marriages between those in similar fields, particularly between the most skilled. It would not be long until the glorious shining children and the children's children would inherit the earth. 
In the meantime, the knowledge that Pushkin was likely among the best paper pushers in the motherland didn't reduce the face-clawing irritation of his bean-counting by a single jot. No, Maria forced through clenched teeth. We are not on budget. I dipped heavily into the research ledgers to pay for the repairs. It only seems balanced because we put Boris's project on hold for two months after his death. We need an increased research budget to make up that shortfall. And now that our secrecy has been compromised, we need far more guards. And what do the people get for this lavish expenditure of their wealth? Yuri asked. We have not seen any returns yet. Your facility has a capitalist appetite and nothing to show for it. Maria rose from her seat and spun on the little man. She glared into his old eyes, hidden behind thick glasses. She stood almost a head taller than him. The harsh lights glinted off his liver-spotted skin. You want to see results? Come with me and I'll show you what we've done, even under such hostile conditions. She turned and walked from the office. The left side of her lab coat flared out behind her. The right side only shifted slightly, weighed down by the semi-automatic pistol in her coat pocket. She'd taken it off the dead agent. It went everywhere with her now. The auditor scurried to catch up. She needed to keep him distracted, keep him from digging too far into the numbers. The MI6 attack had been a blessing and a curse. The resulting chaos had allowed her to bury over a year of financial malfeasance, but it had brought unwanted attention down on them. Alexia was unauthorized work. It wasn't cheap cloning a human child every month, and hard to hide those expenses. You'll be happy to note that we can reduce our senior research headcount by one. She spoke over her shoulder. I've taken over all of Boris's projects and he won't need to be replaced. This had consolidated her power. She needed it to keep some of the more idiotic junior researchers quiet. The security grunts were told that Alexia was a government-approved project, but the research staff knew better. Some of them had to be bribed, others threatened. They rounded a corner, approaching the upper labs. This first project has been underway for two years and is nearing completion. To the left, through those first doors, you'll find we... Maria's voice caught as Natasha's flowing blonde hair flashed across the hallway, darting into a door on the left, a single streak of glorious color in their drab surroundings. No, not Natasha's. She'd been gone for months. Alexia's. The tiny spitting image of Natasha, from her fine blonde hair to her stubby toes. Heat flared through Maria's body, and suddenly her lab coat seemed constricting, suffocating. Had Yuri seen that? He must have. Hell and damnation, he'd seen Alexia. Tightness closed around Maria's throat. There were no children on record in the facility. They would take her daughter away, shut down her project. A grim resolve rose from deep within, clearing the tightness in her throat. They were almost at the elevator doors. Still unrepaired, they yawned open over a dark five-floor fall. Yuri would have a tragic accident. The poor man wasn't watching where he was walking. It was unfortunate that the people had lost someone of his skill and breeding due to simple carelessness. She tensed her shoulders, planted her feet. Yuri walked directly into her and nearly fell to the floor, fumbling his clipboard. The man really hadn't been watching where he was walking and peered up at her with a flustered look. 
Maria blinked at him incredulously. He hadn't seen Alexia? Why have we stopped? Are we here? Yes, right this way. She recovered quickly and waved open the doors to her right, pushing him in. I thought we were going left. What? Oh, no, left is the woman's lavatory. Come along. Faintly, she heard what might have been a young girl's giggle. Unacceptable. Alexia had been told not to leave her room while the auditor was here. She didn't realize the lives she was risking by playing like this. And yet, Maria knew she wouldn't punish her. Alexia had only a few days of health in every iteration, and Maria couldn't mar those. Afterwards came the quick decline and degeneration. She would have to find some other solution. Here we have... Maria looked around the room to orient herself. Uh, Dr. Yu's cartographic microbes. She led him to a wide metal table. Preserved under glass was what appeared to be a pig's heart if it had been made of soap flakes. It looked weightless and apt to crumble at the slightest touch. The walls of the object were so thin she could see into the heart itself, but not quite all the way through it. Dr. Yu's microbes permeate an organic substance and map it out. They then recreate the structure with thin cellular scaffolding. Any organic substance can be mapped. This pig's heart is the largest organ thus recreated. That was a lie. The heart was smaller than a human child's brain. We're still verifying that it's an exact duplicate. Another lie. Alexia was proof enough that the duplication was exact. Remarkable. Yuri nodded and ticked something on his clipboard. However, I failed to see the practical applications. Koning is already a proven technology. And this is not what you have been tasked with producing. Maria's hands twisted into clenched talons of frustration. The fool! She held the keys to life itself. She could make a reproducible copy of anyone's brain. Never again would a freak accident or an assassin's bullet cut short the work of a great mind. She could make Comrade Stalin proof against death itself. Her right eye twitched as she forced her hands to relax. No, this man would not be told. When she was ready, she would present her findings to Stalin in person. When she neutered death, defeated mankind's last great adversary, even the capitalists would come crawling to Russia's feet. The corners of her lips twisted upward, and she struggled to contain a grim laugh. They hate us, and yet we will save them. We will save everyone. Until then, she still had this paper pusher to deal with. Fine, come with me. Maria led them from the room, through the double doors, and turned right. Several meters in front of her, Alexia was kneeling on the floor, drawing on the wall with a crayon. Maria almost gasped aloud and spun around, hands flung out. Yuri was just stepping from the room. She rushed forward and pushed him down the hall, back the way they came. Wait, isn't this the wrong way? He craned his neck to look down the hall. Drop bears. She could lead him into the room with the drop bears. They were still wildly uncontrollable and would tear him to pieces in a minute. So unfortunate, he took a wrong turn looking for the bathroom. She raised her arms to force him forward. Or maybe not. I do get turned around in these underground lairs. 
He gave up trying to look around her body. She wasn't extraordinarily large, but the lab coat widened her frame, and he was extraordinarily small. He shuffled forward as she lagged behind, breathing shallowly. Twice now. Unbelievable. She swallowed and stepped to him, careful to stay between him and Alexia, should he happen to turn around, until they were safely down a side corridor. Several minutes later, they stood in the main laboratory. The room was in use, several techs milling about, trying to look busy, while staying within earshot of Maria and her guest. They pretended to look into microscopes, or fiddle with the controls of the cloning tanks, or scribbled numbers in notebooks. A deep hum pervaded the room, coming from the wide, far wall. Maria took Yuri towards it. You can't tell by looking, but this wall is heavily shielded, plated with several centimeters of lead. If it wasn't, the radiation from the other side would sicken you in a matter of hours. If you were exposed to it for more than a few days, you would start to develop tumors and open sores. Within a few months, you'd be dead. A severe-looking door punctured the wall, gunmetal gray, with the large latch lever and locking dog wheel normally found on submarines. A view slit was set at eye level, closed with a sliding cover four centimeters thick. Behind that door is your radiophage. Take a look. A few seconds through the view slit won't hurt. Yuri approached the door reluctantly. He rested his hand on the bolt at the end of the cover and glanced back at Maria. She gave him a smirk and cocked her head. He turned back to the door, hesitated, then slid the cover from the glass view slit. Brilliant red light burst from the space beyond that door. It shone fiercely, flooding over the gray of the lab with a brilliance the color of autumn leaves set alight. It was steady, unwavering, and dazzling as a bottled sunset. For an infinite moment, all movement ceased, and the world was shining crimson. With a jerk, Yuri slammed the cover back into place, and the lab dropped back to dull tones. Finally, every chest fell as every held breath was slowly exhaled. What... what was... Yuri spoke, but he hadn't turned away from the door. His hand still rested on the slit cover. The bacteria absorb a lot of energy in the form of ionizing radiation. They thrive on it, needing no other food supply. But even so, it is far more than they can absorb. The excess energy must be released in some way, or it will destroy them. In this case, it's converted into bioluminescence. Prodigious amounts of it. That is the red light you saw. That is stunning. He turned to face her, eyes wondering. You have succeeded then? Maria shook her head. Not yet. We are still working to find a way to integrate the bacteria into a living host. This strain is immediately attacked by our test animals' immune systems and destroyed in a matter of days. We're only halfway there. Nonetheless, I think the people can continue research in this vein. Your expenses will have to be curtailed a bit, but... He stopped, and his eyes shifted to something past Maria. Hello? Who's this? Maria's blood froze solid. She held her head stiff and turned on her heels. The room moved around her, and Alexia swung into her vision, drifting from her periphery into her focus. She stood in the doorway, eyes shining, smiling meekly. Maria staggered back one step, then another. This was it, then. 
Her hand crept into her coat pocket. Her eyes darted to Yuri's face. There were witnesses. Those here now knew Yuri had to die. No point in being clever. Her hand closed on the pistol in her deep lab coat pocket. The Walther PPK. The others would have no doubts about her resolve now. This action would speak louder than a hundred threats. There aren't any children listed at this facility? The question was implicit in his statement. Maria met his eyes and wondered at the lightness in her head, the feeling of weightlessness like that when stepping off a ledge, free and helpless. Her palm was already slick with sweat. She flicked off the safety and tightened her grip on the gun. It was time. Mama? Maria didn't look back. Her arm trembled as she began to pull the gun from her pocket. Alexia! Scolded a nearby man, crossing to her in three long, loping strides and sweeping the girl into his arms. Papa told you not to bother us in here. You'll get me in trouble with Dr. Kovanich. The man was young, probably a technician. Maria didn't recognize him. His hair was dark black, but his eyes matched Alexia's blue. He held her tightly and turned to Maria, looking deeply chagrined. I'm so sorry, he said, lowering his head. I promised this wouldn't happen. He looked at Yuri Pushkin. I accept full responsibility. I told Dr. Kovanich that her transfer was approved, but the paperwork is still processing. But my daughter, she is no one else. Now that her mother, she... And Alexia, as if on cue, started crying. She struck the strange man with a closed fist, pulling from his arms, but he pulled her tight and hurried from the room, making shushing noises the while. He cast Maria an anxious look as he left. Maria smiled faintly and dropped her hand back into her pocket as subtly as she could. She had only pulled it out to the wrist. Yuri looked from the vacated doorway to Maria with a quizzical expression. Is it safe for her to be here? It's safer than the city. Our dangers are known and controlled, and she has nowhere else. She was amazed at how steady her voice was. She held on to the solid metal weight of the gun, let it ground her. Yes. Why did she call you Mama? Maria shrugged. Her pulse quickened, and she put her finger back into the trigger guard. Everyone defers to me. Maybe she picked up on that. She's been calling me Mama Kova for weeks. Hmm. Well... Our strength is our children. I don't wish to insult the great intellects gathered here, but child education is a tricky thing, yes? Maria stiffened, then braced herself for what she had to do. I believe I can find a way to expand your budget a bit to allow the hiring of a tutor. Do you have spare living quarters? She nearly choked, holding back the gasp of laughter that tried to burst from her chest. She relaxed her arm, let her death grip on the pistol grow slack. A tutor would mean one more person to keep subdued, one more vector to keep controlled. But she could deal with that later. The Kremlin would have their man back, and he was bringing them a glowing report. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. Today's music was The World Is Not Enough by Garbage. 
Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the conclusion to Red Legacy. Don't know.